you know. Yeah. So I, I love the the mental health issues that you address on in your photos and in your art like the anxiety cake like i saw that that and you were like i tried to set it on fire but then i just smashed it instead i really did like i was so mad it wouldn't light on fire and i punched the cake the crap out of that cake that was terrifying i mean you you've tried to bake gluten-free i assume i have yeah it doesn't work and you just you're so tired you punched a cake yeah and it gets all over the carpet you have to clean it up so the dog doesn't eat it it's terrible I have sim- maybe not the exact same story, but I get what you're saying. Uh-huh. <laughs> Making things. Making things is hard. Making it's things really hard. is hard. Whether they be podcasts, cakes, books, or I don't care. All Making of the things. above. And humans. Making things is Ooh. really, really hard. Yes. Yeah. Welcome to the Hybrid Pub Scout Podcast with me, Emily Einelander. And me, Corinne Kolaski. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we're mapping the frontier between traditional and indie publishing. And as you may have guessed, Corinne, unfortunately, has a very bad sore throat today and will not be here. And in her place, we have, uh, we have who, who is that? Who are you? Who am I? I'm your husband. Oh, you, shit. You okay? you who let who you in here? Uh, you did. You actually requested that I be on here because while I don't know anything about books, um, I do know some stuff about cake. And um, we're fortunate enough to have someone else who knows a lot about cake and books here <laughs> today. So it's it's basically like... It's, it's a special like, day. It's yeah, a big day. <laughs> where everyone is happy. <laughs> um, so we have Jessica Reed here today. Jessica is an artist and writer and author of the book, The Baker's Appendix. Formerly a senior designer with Penguin Random House, she now freelances as a cover designer for self-publishing authors, as well as writing about baked goods and other food subjects. Find her online at readsy.com slash jessica-read, thecakehistorian.com, and on Instagram at cake underscore historian. Hi, Jessica. Hi. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's nice of you to drive all the way out here. It, it's it's an adventure from the gigantic <laughs> sprawl of Portland, Oregon. I just get to you know, my husband has the daughter for the evening, so it's sort of a break. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, well, she's gonna hear this and not be happy. I said that, but <laughs> <laughs> well, now now Mom. she knows. <laughs> she's here playing with a dog without you. Sorry, be our extreme <laughs> our extremely needy and overly affectionate dog who does not have a good sense of personal space and oh, it's a lovely things. dog. I gotta. Get, I'm a cat person, so I've got to get adapted to dogs for for my mm. daughter's sake. Well, I I understand that most book people are cat people. Um, I made the mistake once of uh, making like I like cats just for the record, but I was <laughs> in um, I was in like the workroom with a bunch of people in my publishing program one day and someone said something about dogs being smelly and I was like I think cats are smelly and they just all it was like inception <laughs> where everyone turns around and stares at Ellen Page wow <laughs> and one of the women was like 
I like the way my cat smells. And I was like, okay, okay, well. That's intense. <laughs> this was a mistake. I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to make it clear I love cats. And so does Corinne. But she yes, so you're getting cats, a dog yes. soon. Yes, well, yeah, under, uh, yeah, she'll no, probably no, implode wait. if we don't get one for okay. her eighth birthday. She just turned seven. <laughs> We've been saying when she turns eight, we can get a dog. So, so this is the year we figure out how to make that happen. Mm. <laughs> the logistics mm-hmm. of having an animal. Oh, we have a cat. Ah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Another animal. What's your yeah. cat's name? Mary. Oh my gosh, I love a good human name for her. <laughs> Actually, we adopted her from a shelter in Brooklyn, and she came with that name, and her papers said she was, I shouldn't laugh, abandoned at a church in Brooklyn. Aww. It's just this a dramatic orphan story. Named Mary. So. Mary. So she she was obviously owned by an old lady who pampered her because she'd been horribly declawed, which I don't believe in, but she'd been oh, declawed. Geez. She was obsessed with canned food, and she's lazy. And so, to me, that's the hallmark of a pampered pet. So we adopted her. The Blessed Virgin. And she's just like the sweetest, laziest cat. You, Yeah. Well, it was funny because at the same time we adopted another cat. We adopted them together. And that cat we, just, we were going to call Elizabeth for Mary and Elizabeth. And oh. then we found out Elizabeth was actually a boy because uh, they'd done, I don't know. Anyway, so you had that, to change it to Joseph. Well, then it was just Tom. It was Tomcat. Oh, uh, okay. We just did Tomcat. And then, uh, unfortunately, Tomcat passed away before we moved here. Oh. R.I.P. Tomcat. R.I.P. Tomcat, yeah. All right, well, let's uh, let's uh, dive into the publishing side of things to okay. start with. Um, why? Why did you start pursuing publishing and specifically design work in publishing? Well, uh, so... I've always been a book person. Always, 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 always. It's been my first love. And um, I studied writing and art in college. And that was, I went to college kind of late because I went to beauty school and I dropped out of beauty school. Did people sing the song to you? Oh, always. Okay, yeah. I won't do it then. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then I went to college and I graduated and I'd always wanted to go to New York City. Um, my mom grew up in New Jersey and my grandparents were both partially raised in the Bronx. Uh, and I'd never been there, but I was really drawn to it. And I didn't really know how I wasn't, I didn't have enough guts to just go, but I looked into, I applied to the publishing Institute at New York university and got into that and was like, I'm just going to give it a try. I'm going to go. It's two months. I live in a dorm and I'll see what I think. I'll see if I think I can do this. And so I went and went to the publishing institute actually with the the idea that I wanted to write for magazines. That's kind of what I, I wasn't actually looking at book publishing. I was more thinking of being a writer for magazines. I was obsessed with interview magazine and all kinds of uh, magazines of that sort back then. So um, I got into the publishing institute, went to New York, lived in the dorms, um, had, it was just, it was amazing. And the two months ended and I went home and got all my stuff and gave my cat to my sister and moved out here or moved out there, <laughs> moved out to New York with a couple of boxes and a lot of CDs. Cause this was way back when, well, I mean, you were wanting to write for magazines. So I assumed yeah. well, this was, was a CD era as well. Yeah. This was 2002. So Ooh, right at the end. Yeah. So it was, it was, uh, just post nine 11. Um, and so, yeah, so I moved, I went to the publishing Institute and went back, took forever to get a job. Um, I couldn't get any, you know, I had tons of interviews. I couldn't really get any magazine work and 
So I wound up, um, I initially had gotten hired at Magnolia Bakery, the sort of bakery made famous by Sex in the City. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, why do I know that? And, uh, and at the same time, I got a job at a Barnes & Noble in Manhattan, and I was like, well, I want to go into publishing, so I should go to the bookstore. Um, and I would never been a baker. It was interesting that how this all came about. But so I worked at Barnes Noble in Chelsea for a while, and that was a riot because you just you'd turn around and be like, "Oh, hey, Kate Winslet, what do you need?" Or "Hey, Bette Midler, how can I help you?" Oh my god! Yeah, nice. it was nuts. The people that would come in, I chased Nigella Lawson down and to get to her to sign a book for me. <laughs> JC's freaking out. <laughs> she Sorry. was really, really nice. Was she? Very She's nice. Really nice. Yeah, in I person. whipped a pen out of my hair and she kind of looked at it like, oh, it's a little gross, but she signed my book anyway. And oh, uh, that's wonderful. Yeah, just the people that would come in was just, it was wild. The whole store shut down when Harrison Ford and Calista Flockhart came in. Um, wow. It was wild. What so did they read? You know, I actually didn't help them. Mm. Uh, some other co workers helped them, and then a couple others carried the books back to their apartment. So, wow. Yeah. There was there was first class service at Barnes and Noble, but so that store is actually not there anymore. But um, and totally random story that I won't go into. But I did once get hit on the head with a hammer at that store. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, on purpose? No. Okay, well that's good. No, but and I was fine. I like the I grazed my head. I went to St. Vincent's. Wow. It was, yeah. So a lot happened. Yeah. So anyway, so I worked at Barnes yeah. and Noble, and um, and then a friend of mine that I'd met through the Publishing Institute was working at Penguin in managing ed and we were we had lived together for a few months after the dorms we'd moved into a house together in uh, carroll gardens which is a neighborhood in brooklyn and then for reasons i won't go into that living arrangement didn't work out so mm-hmm. i moved into another apartment um in greenpoint which is the northernmost uh little neighborhood in brooklyn before you get to queens on the west side of of the borough um and uh, so I got an interview for um, advertising and promotion uh, assistant. At Penguin. At Penguin. And um, I had the interview. I had a lot of interviews <laughs> at that time. But I, I had that interview, and um, I went back to work at Barnes & Noble. And, it, you know, like a month later, I got a call saying, wow. you know, that they wanted to hire me. And I think I started to cry or something. <laughs> like, I was so relieved. Yeah. And, um so I first started as an assistant in ad promo working, uh, God, I can't, it's been so long. I worked on like the Berkeley imprint and so Ace and Rock, so Sci-Fi, Berkeley, um, NAL, which dissolved into like so much has changed in the, yeah. the last yeah. over a decade, but, um, Penguin Press when it first started, all kinds of imprints. And then I kind of rose up through the ranks and became an ad promo manager and then all throughout the course of doing that, I, as a lifelong artist, was itchy, you know. So right. I was taking um, continuing ed classes at Parsons and the School of Visual Arts in design, hoping to, um, well, I wanted to, to integrate design work in with the work that I was doing as a marketing manager, which right. involved mostly copywriting and product product project management yeah but we also did did some design in that position and over time I kind of beefed up my resume and then internally found a position as a senior designer which switched me over to uh still penguin but working you know there was I don't know how many imprints at penguin at the time before we merged with random house but 
I went into a different group that was like Riverhead and Penguin itself and mm-hmm. Penguin Classics. Mm-hmm. And so I was there until I left. Well, then it kind of switched before I left because of the merging. But I did that as a senior designer um, until I left New York in 2017. Great. Wow. It's a really long answer to no. your question. Sorry. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> <laughs> nobody really like... Well, I think there were a couple people we've talked to who had a rather straight trajectory, but not many people do. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So you, you said that the itchy art person was inside of you. So you yeah. were doing art since you were a young person as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What um, was your medium of choice? Oh God. See, I'm that person that Loves photography <laughs> has been my kind of the running thread that you could, that you could look at through at least in high school when I started taking uh, taking photography classes. But I've always done, I mean, I used to build cardboard furniture when I was a little kid for my bedroom. And and I've always been crafty, you know. I've had 17,000 Etsy stores selling a variety of things from, you know, silkscreen T-shirts, uh, hand-etched bottles for pills. <laughs> oh, wow. Have, I got into embroidery for a long time, and I was doing... Um, hand embroidery on the covers of vintage paperbacks. And I sold oh some of gosh. those through Etsy and through like Food 52. Okay. Sold a bunch of, you know, vintage cookbooks with my embroidery on them. Um, so yes, I've always been drawn to the arts and write, writing and art were my two, are my two, you know, and finding a way to meld them into book was my kind of main goal in life. Well, I, Which I think is what I liked about magazines, visual as well yeah. as, as, as written. Mm-hmm. And then I would think like frequency as well. You get yeah, to like it's exciting to do projects. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you know, I loved being in an office every day, surrounded by books like that. Having just the work I got to do was amazing. The stuff we got to do there was it was I I, I felt really lucky that I had yeah. the career I had there. It was hard to walk away. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Well, this is a show where we we have a lot of different book people of different types. So we mm-hmm. have editors, designers, uh, booksellers, uh, writers, and we like learning about each other's mechanics of what they do. So will you talk with us a little bit about the cover design process as you experienced it and um, the amount of input that came from you versus other people in the publishing house? Well, I guess I should have mentioned. So I never did cover design on no? Penguin. No, oh, I was oh. I was an ad promo. So I did. Um, oh, okay, I guess I thought. Sorry, okay. I yeah no. I started doing cover design while I was here. Oh, um, okay. And well, well, there well, I then did. Tell us about that bridge. <laughs> okay. Well, well, yeah. So Penguin, I did advert. I continued staying in marketing, and so I did. Um, you know, New York Times ads and online ads and I mean everything from ads and you know catalogs down to when um publishers send galleys of forthcoming books out particularly if it's a special I want to say special author but a book that's getting a lot of press or something they're super excited about they'll send these we'll make these kits yeah for sending the galleys and so we would work on we did those by hand I mean those were done by hand assembled by six or seven of us standing around making these kits. Um, we did a really fun one for Deb Harkness when Discovery of Witches came out. We did a really fun one for Elizabeth Gilbert for Signature of All Things. Um, I was pretty involved with stuff for Lev Grossman and The Magicians when that first book came out. Um, so 
in that sense, I kind of had my hands in all the different areas. And so that's what I did for a very long time. And then when we moved here, I did attempt to get into some, I attempted to get work in the tiny publishing industry that is, is here in Portland um, and had absolutely no luck. Yeah. So I, I always wanted to do covers. It was just, it's a harder game in design and in book publishing unless you've come straight. I don't know. It was not something I think I was built for out there. I didn't come straight from a design program. Um, How does someone get like chosen to make the book cover in big publishing? Yeah, how I know. I really, I honestly have no idea. And I, there were some really nice people that worked in cover design, but it was sort of kept this sort of insular separate thing. I mean, we had to interact with them. We had to get their work. We would take their work and adapt it for ARCs or galleys. Right. You know, so we were in constant contact with cover design. But it was a world unto itself. Yeah. And I think, you know, I befriended, I befriended, um, over the years I befriended Corley Bickford-Smith, the British penguin person responsible for all of the embossed hardcover classics that came out. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, she was interesting to talk to because she's a cover art. Like, that's what Mm -hmm. she does, you Mm -hmm. know, is cover design. And um, I think the trajectory, it's just, I don't know. Well, and those are the people who do all of those, like, series of classics where every few years there's, like, a different Yeah, that, so that's who I worked. Mm-hmm. I worked at, I worked on those most, or a lot of those over the years. Wow. Yeah, which was, you know, Legendary. really cool. Yeah. Really, really cool. <laughs> awesome. We'd make t-shirts and we'd, you know, yeah. do all kinds of fun stuff. But I know several people who would, like, envy the shit out of you for that. <laughs> it, like, it was it was cool. No, it was, and, you know. Like, their final projects on it and stuff. It was funny being someone... <laughs> In that position, I mean, it is in, se- in a sense true that a lot of the people that work in publishing New York are either, oh God, I don't want to get myself in trouble for this, but either come from money or no, we, went to it. the really big schools. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, there were a lot of people I worked with that had, uh, whose parents paid for apartments for them, or they had, um, they'd gone to the Seven Sisters schools, they'd gone to Yale or Harvard, and they yeah. had these, and I literally it was a beauty school dropout who went to a state college right. that I could get into because it didn't require SATs. Like that's how, yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, and I sort of worked my way into it. So there was this, uh, I didn't come from where a lot of them came from. And I'm not saying everybody that works in publishing is like that. And even the people that did, I mean, they're all wonderful people. I can't really oh, sure. speak poorly about any of them, but it was just a different experience. Than I mean, I like if you can, then, you know, if you yeah, can live I like probably... that, why wouldn't you? But... <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, hey, if my parents could have paid for an apartment and I wasn't living with, you know, a knife thrower's assistant in a dining room with a plastic wall, like, you know, that would have been... Was that why it fell apart? They wanted to drag you into the knife throwing industry? No, no, <laughs> no. She was cool. She was really cool. She was an actress and she was the person that got the knives thrown at her and we shared the apartment with four or five other people and it was this wacky it was an old dentist's office and oh wow that's fun yeah there was a plastic (laughs) literally my room was a dining room next to the kitchen with a plastic wall that divided the dining room from the kitchen so it could be a bedroom and i slept on an air mattress i think my parents had to mail me an electric blanket because i was so cold (laughs) (laughs) don't put it too close to the plastic get the tiny violin off my shoulder but um (laughs) i mean 
when I was a kid, I thought that was like the starving artist New York experience. So there you go. Kind of, it kind of is actually <laughs> not as cool though as I expected it to be. Nor was it nineteen, you know, nor was it New York in the nineteen thirties, which is I think what I went there to find, uh, or the nineteen twenties. I wanted to be in Greenwich Village, to, and you wanted to do like in, like thoroughly modern Millie. It was awesome, but I worked in Greenwich Village, which was cool. So at least Penguin offices were downtown Manhattan, whereas mm-hmm. everything else in, in publishing in New York happens in Midtown. Right. And I think, honestly, had I gotten a job in publishing in Midtown, I would have not lasted because Midtown's... I'm actually not a crowds person, which is weird for somebody that moved to New York, but it's pretty chaotic, whereas the village, you'd walk around and... I'm not kidding when I say I'd see Sarah Jessica Parker taking her kids to school mm-hmm. or you would, you know... Kate Winslet again her kids I'd walk past them going to school because people could do that down there there was not it's a part of town where people quiet, leave each other alone people leave each other alone one of my greatest sightings was seeing um Lou Reed and Lori Anderson having breakfast together at a coffee Whoa. shop and I was I it was really hard for me not to run in and say something to them. But I, so it was the kind of neighborhood. I, I admire do. your restraint. He jumped out of a car to say hi to John Bryan once. Yeah, I mean <laughs> A moving car. I was driving. <laughs> you, were, you were you were you were braking at the time. I, I was braking. Well, that's you still good. jumped out. <laughs> I understand. I understand. I do. It's in LA. They expect it there. All right. Yeah. No. So so it was nice. It was quiet and it was nice and it was idyllic and you could walk around and see. Oh, so and so lived there and you know Edna St. Vincent Millay's house, the narrowest house in all of New York City. Oh, was near there. It's maybe like nine feet. Something insane. It's so narrow. It's ridiculous. Oh, wow. Um, and as a history fanatic as well, I'm a huge, huge history person. It was a really cool neighborhood to be in for that. Um, oh, you're a cake historian. Yeah. And a, and a spooky history person and all kinds of, yeah, I know all the places where people were killed and <laughs> in New York, I'd walk uh-huh. around and be like, that's the building where so-and-so died. Did you go to the Dakota a lot? I walked, well, <laughs> one of my, so I, I, one, a publisher I worked for had an apartment in the Dakota and I was Whoa. obsessed. I, uh, I so desperately wanted to be invited to her apartment. I was never going to she be. She never invited you? No, oh. no, no. I was never going to, she, you know, I worked with her sort of on the side. It, I wasn't directly working for her. So, um, no, but my, my OBGYN who, who for my daughter was, was near the Dakota. So oh, wow. that was always exciting. It was, you know, no, I love that building. Yeah. 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 But no, there's a lot of super creepy things. Like the park where my husband um, proposed, which it's a long story because it was near both, we both worked kind of near each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, this used to be a cemetery. There's a grave right over there. And they used to hang people in this park. And, he's and like, then he like gets down really? on one knee. <laughs> really, Jess? He's like, where's the grave right here? Will you marry me? <laughs> it's like, well, this, you know, it's nice. You know, I, I mean, maybe not nice, but it, it so anyway, oh, I got it. I got it. History person. <laughs> I'm getting off topic here. No, but, you're not. <laughs> but um, no, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, I don't even know what I was talking about anymore. I mean, we were talking about the New York experience for an introvert. Oh, yeah, so and, Greenwich Village, yeah. and how it was nice to work down there. And um, the building was, um, the, the Penguin was housed in, was owned by Charles Saatchi. It was where the Saatchi and Saatchi uh, advertising firm had their offices, so there was art everywhere. And we weren't allowed necessarily to get up to the floors with the good art. But um, it was a you know it was it was a nice building and there was a rooftop track that's so you nice. could go up there and run oh. and it was it was just New York oh hey Statue of Liberty oh hey One World Trade you know and you'd run around and just be like yeah I'm in New York. 
York. You know, you do a rocky run, but instead you were on top of this building in downtown Manhattan. <laughs> Just like having a lot of feelings, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was always a lot of feelings. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I might. You're having feelings I talking it. about yeah, it Yeah, right well, now. I really, I miss New York a lot. Yeah. Um, Why did you come out here? Or is that too It's personal? just really hard there. Um, I just got really, we, it, the grind got just, it just got tiring, especially with like a little kid. Right. And we just, um, the school system's pretty different out there. So trying to figure out how to, to navigate that was rough. Um, I, I was just really tired. Yeah. You know, my husband is an architect and he was, um, he wanted to do work. He loved the work he was doing, but he kind of wanted to get involved in stuff that felt a little more meaningful to him. Okay. Then, you know, he did a lot of high-end residential, which was really cool. But at the same time, he was he wanted to do something that felt like it was giving back. Right. Um, and I had, I'd just been at, at Penguin, I was there for 14 years, which was a really long time to stay at one company. Yeah, yeah that's um, a long you, sur- you survived the uh, the early 2000s there. So like yeah. well, that was a pretty rough time, right? It like, was a transitional period. It was yeah, it was always kind of transitional there. But um so yeah, yeah, I think we just you know, I look back and I realized I'd kind of wanted to leave forever. I mean, I feel like I talked to one of my one of my millions of therapists probably starting <laughs> in 2006. In fact, when I met my husband, I was pretty close to I actually started baking because of all this back then. Right. Um but when I met my husband, I was thinking of leaving New York, and that was around 2006. Uh-huh. And uh, and then I, I met him, and I was like, oh, okay, I'll stay. But yeah, I think, you know, just couldn't do it anymore. No. It's hard. It's a hard question to answer because to me it's still the one of the best cities in the entire world. It's it's home. I, You know, there's the place I was born. There's the place I grew up, which in my opinion is New York because I don't think – I think it's a myth that you grow up as here. a child. I think you really grow up once you hit your 20s and go onward, you know? 100% believe that, yes. So I feel like I grew up in New York. I was born in Denver. I grew up in New York. And now I'm figuring things out here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we've only been here a little over two years, so we're still finding our feet. Let's talk about your cover design work now. Um, so what do you, how do you decide what direction to go with the cover? Are are you told, since it's self-publishing authors, I know they have a lot more control over the process. Mm -hmm. Do they just tell you what they want or do they kind of give you free reign or is it? It's a little bit of both. Uh, You know, I would say working with self-publishing authors has been one of the most delightful experiences after all those years of working in traditional publishing and seeing, I mean, frankly, how many people got overlooked, how authors that already sold gazillions of copies still had all the marketing money going their way. Um, yep. And, you know, I mean, I could speak, having been someone who's published a book and worked in publishing, it's it's not what everybody thinks it is. Oh, no. Um, from the outside. So working with self-publishing authors is just, it's freaking amazing because it feels so good to give these people a quality look for something that they've worked their butts off to create. And And not just shutting them down. Yeah, no, I mean, and so usually when I get a new client, we start with, um, I, I send them a questionnaire trying to get an idea of what they're looking for, what feeling they want their cover to. Do they have any images? Can they send me covers they like? More importantly, what do you not like? 
a lot of people won't tell you what they don't like until you ask them. Um, so I find out what they don't like. And then it just becomes a process. I do I do stock image research. I, I usually start with that and mm-hmm. see what images capture them. Um, I usually am just working off a synopsis. But, um, a synopsis of whatever Of the their book, is. of their particular mm-hmm. book, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then once we've agreed upon a look, I, I'll draft the full cover. I'll come up with fonts, and usually I try to give them a few options to choose from, and we'll get a direction. It's really a collaborative process. Um, right. uh, you know, of course, they're ultimately the ones with the creative control. I'm just helping steer them in a more polished direction, perhaps, than then they might be able to pull off on their own. Right. Right. I don't I don't think a lot of people, even people who do have a little bit of design experience, it can pull off a cover very easily. Like to me it seems like a really difficult thing to do. Like I have friends who do self publishing and they'll buy like two hundred dollar covers mm-hmm. and they look good. Yeah. But I just I couldn't do it myself. It seems like a very unique skill to me so it almost the sort of thing where you like you really should hire someone else to do it unless you're really confident because it really shows when you have a cover <laughs> that yeah exactly that is extremely amateurish yeah exactly yeah it it, it does <laughs> let's talk about cover trends just your opinions <laughs> okay. your opinions on cover trends okay what ones do you hate the most <laughs> oh god um you know it's funny as somebody who's so what do I hate? This is a really tough question. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, I just, you know, I just, I don't think I've ever thought about particular design trends and what I hate about them. Is the question too mean? No, no, it's okay. not mean at all, but I'm honestly blanking. I guess the covers I never really, I, I get really tired of a lot of prescriptive nonfiction covers, um, particularly because they're prescriptive. You know, they all look the same. <laughs> They're the easiest to do in a way because it's like, okay, big, big, big bold font. And a white background. A color, a white background. <laughs> Maybe some, you know, image that harks to some kind of thing that, you know, a syringe or a yeah. frowny-faced balloon, you know, a single image that evokes <laughs> what the book is like about. Like a Malcolm Gladwell, like a feather or, yeah. 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 Um, um, it's just kind of... Uh, tiresome but um one of your uh, cake historian pictures is of like a cake being smashed by a stack of self-help books isn't it Mm -hmm. oh yeah (laughs) self-help i I am loath to admit my my uh absolute uh problematic thing with self-help books but i worked for for a lot of people genre wise don't look at me um (laughs) i used to work for a mind body spirit publisher And Corinne still works there. And I was the sort of person who like read them on my own while everyone made fun of them Mm -hmm. and was like, yeah, that's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Like I I am less embarrassed about reading like really smutty romance than I am about reading self-help books. Yeah, people are pretty – it's the sort of – you make your own cover. You could whip out your, you know, paper bag from the grocery store like you had to do in high school. Yeah. Cover your book <laughs> with a different cover. A blind date <laughs> with a book. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I have, I've always been into self-help books or, um, I think it's, I grew up with a father who is rather existentialist in nature. And when I broke up with my first boyfriend, he bought me a copy of Existential Psychotherapy and said, read the chapter on death. Everything will be fine. 
Wow. I was just Whoa. like, what? Wow, wow, wow. So it's always been sort of part of my life. Damn. <laughs> Although I never did actually read that chapter. Um, I mean, that, that sounds like a smart move. That's honestly. pretty intense. It's kind of throwing you into the deep end. <laughs> well, I mean, I won't even get started there. But um, yeah, no, I've always been drawn to self-help and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, but it's also problematic in my mind in a lot of ways, too. Um, I mean, we do terrible things to ourselves in so many other ways. And why not with our reading habits, too? Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I did that cake, because I felt like I was looking everywhere for answers and it was suffocating me. All the different ideas are, you know, I mean, I think there's this, I absolutely would not call it a trend, but it's been, I think, in more widely, um, widely shown in the world. I don't want to say, oh, but this whole manifesting genre that's been happening. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe they started with The Secret and old Law of Attraction books, but now there's all the new manifesting books and they're, it, it, uh. On one hand, there's such a draw to think, okay, I'm in control. If I just am happy, I can make this happen. And then you suddenly realize that, conversely, if it doesn't happen, you blame yourself. And all the poor people and the sick people made themselves poor and sick. Well, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, and it's it's it's, it's elitist. It's um, classist. Ableist. It's, it's sort of, <laughs> you know. It's shitty. Yeah. It's really shitty. But then on the other hand, you want to feel like you can bring good things into your life with your brain, yeah. but you don't want to bring the bad things into your life. Yeah. And but you don't want what... to feel responsible if, if you, you know, if something doesn't happen, you don't think, you know, I just didn't think happy hard enough. But you're gonna anyway, right. you know, so you <laughs> even if agency, you don't want to think you also that. Exactly. yourself up about it So later. yeah, that's probably, yeah. so I've actually pulled back quite a bit from, from any kind of self-help literature. Same. Um, <laughs> I've, Yeah. I'm proud of us. Yeah, it's 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 hard, <laughs> but it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like empty calories. Yeah, <laughs> you just hate yourself in the morning. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Probably even more than consuming empty calories, though, because sometimes that's wonderful. Cake. <laughs> Cake is cake empty. is not an empty not calorie. An empty calorie. <laughs> okay, well, know you know, what you, were talking about. you know, perception. I, don't, I agree with you. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that would think self-help books are not empty calories. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly what I'm saying. Um, but l- let's talk about let's talk about cake more. Let's talk about okay. how the cake historian originated. I would like to know. <laughs> um, I can't. I mean, really, I so I, I did not grow up baking. No one in my family bakes. My mother baked Duncan Hines boxed mix once a year, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was in New York, I'd always been drawn to cake in the artistic sense. And when I was working at that Barnes and Noble in Chelsea, there was a book that had come out called Cakewalk, I think it was, uh, by an artist named Margaret Braun. And no, it wasn't called Cakewalk. Maybe it was Cakewalk. I can Google it. Anyway. I just, I don't know. I became enamored with that book. And, um, it is cakewalk. Okay, good. I got it right. Nice. I became enamored with it. And that's a lot of tears. My goodness. These are beautiful. Yeah. They're kind of crazy. Right. And she had a studio in New York and I, I sort of, I just, I started to realize how happy I felt looking at pictures of cake. And so it started out, I started a blog called pictures of cake entirely for myself as a repository for pictures of cake. The days before Pinterest. So when I was at work <laughs> and I was feeling pissed off, 
I would go and I would look at these pictures of cake and they would I give me it. good feelings. Yeah. And then when I did some of my design classes, I was um, making things related to cakes. And um, when I started baking, I, you know, I kind of lived in apartments that were not very conducive to that for a long time. And then I moved in with a good friend of mine um, into a different apartment in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. And he is an artist. And I was the, you know, consummate Etsy all the time artist and also started baking. And we lived in this sort of wacky, he had portraits hung everywhere. I came home one day and he'd covered the bathroom in tinfoil for a project. I mean, it was just, it was really cool. Actually, <laughs> It was awesome. a lot of fun. Um, so I started baking. I, you know, I went to the dollar store and I got, um, stuff. I'd go to the bodega to get sugar. I would, you know, and I would just, I started trying to bake and, um, it it evolved into where I knew that I couldn't have them at home with me because I would eat them all. So yes. I <laughs> devised this thing that I started doing at work. I called it Cake uh, Cake Thursday. So every other Thursday, I would design an invitation or I'd send an invitation out to coworkers, and I'd say, come meet, join me for cake in my office. Thursdays at 4.30. I thought, this is a good way. Friday is coming. Let's have cake. So we did that. I did that for quite a while, and one year I made a calendar of all the cakes I'd done. And then it became like cake Thursday on Monday because after I had my daughter, it became too hard to do it on two Thursdays. Um, you had to have that weekend in there. Right. Exactly. Well, and then it got more, kind of a bit more intense. So that's when I started doing a lot more history work. I started to become really obsessed with the history of cake and researching the history of cake in the United States, its connection to feminism, to our ideas of motherhood. Um, and so I would do these historic cakes and I would design these, I started designing the invitations yeah. and I would email them out and people would come and we'd eat cake. And this went on mostly until I left. I did, um, but so the history became really kind of a, how it began, you know, as I was really getting into the history and that's where Cake Historian started. And then as I've progressed through the years, it's sort of been less about the history of cake and more about the culture, its place in our culture, its connection to mental health. Uh, the work that I do is to sort of take a cake and use it as my medium to explore mental health, identity, issues of our culture. And, um, and so, you know, towards the end of my career at Penguin, I started doing books as cakes. So I would take a book and distill it into flavors and colors and textures and make a cake. So that was really cool because I got to do a cake for um, Paul Hawkins when Into the Water came out. I did a cake for her. When Lauren Groff's Fates and Furies came out, I did a cake for her. And am I to understand that it was served at her book launch party? Yeah. yeah. Wow. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, what I have a picture of the it? two of us together. Well, it was for Fates and Furies. It was... Um, it was it, an Oedipal cake. Yeah, know. it had... Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Well, I used. I'm, uh, I'm on the website. Let an me. Edible essence for ylang ylang. A Ooh. scented layer, orange layer filled with creme patisserie. Creme patisserie. Did I say it yeah. right? Okay. Uh, frosted with Swiss meringue buttercream and topped with spun sugar. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's all sort of it. It evo- There's there's the the sort of craziness of marriage was was the spun sugar uh, orange. I I think. I try, I'm trying to remember what orange had to do with the book, but all the flavors. Florida? It might, but, and then the creme patisserie was one of the characters was French, 
And the ylang ylang was, uh, it's, it's a, it's, I, I can't remember if it's language of flowers or something, but it's, it's a sort of sexual so, scent. Cake. So the books is cake was, it was, and I still do that. Not as much as I, uh, um, I don't have as much of an audience for it. Well, I do. I give it to the neighbors here now, you know, oh, my I'm husband's sure office, it. but sometimes I have to explain what it is and they get a little confused. Not confused, but if they've not read the book or or I'm like, this is an esoteric experience. And I'm just like, it's just a chocolate cake, Jess. I'm like, no, no, no. It's different than just making puns this cake out of your magic. cake. I mean, yeah, I mean, there is, there is that. I mean, you, let, uh, your th- most thematic cake was um, the, the prince cake. That was, yeah. Now, are we talking about... The Little Prince or the musician? The musician. Nice. It was a raspberry-filled cake. Nice. Was it shaped like a beret? I mean, <laughs> it just had a big purple Purple, symbol. it was all purple. Vanilla buttercream, it had raspberries in the middle, chocolate cake with vanilla icing. Yeah, that's the one. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I love that book. Yeah. I need to read it. It's, it was, it's a nice, nice read. It I was, do like nice reads like that, too. You know, just kind of stuff that doesn't... I don't know. I can't get into the... The older I get, the less I can really torture yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, (laughs) we kind of live in a constant state of torture in our current climate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So escapism in the form of literature right now is, I think that's why I like going into the past too with what I read. It's so far removed from, um, and it already happened. So you don't have to worry about it. Well, and it's made up and it's, it's (laughs) flouncy and it's, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, uh, anyway. So yes. So. Books is cake. Something I. When is this book coming out? Because you have a book called The Baker's Appendix. Yes. How did that come about first? Let's talk about that. That was a book I actually self-published first. Oh. Mm-hmm. But it says. Well, I crown so I self-published it. it. Um, <laughs> I designed and self-published this tiny little booklet. It was forty-five pages. Uh, I printed it with these people out. I think in Minneapolis in this lovely. It was a lovely like linen weight paper. And I hand tied a baker, a baker's twine bookmark and hanging loop. And I sold them at a couple craft fairs and then food 52 picked them up and, um, sold that for a while. And then, um, the food writer, Julia Tertian, I got friendly with her. She, um, was an early proponent of the baker's appendix and she introduced me to her agent and her agent took me on and, uh, sold the book. So it was picked up by Clarkson Potter, and then we contacted an old colleague of mine named Ben Gibson, who is one of the main guys behind a company called Pop Chart Labs, and they do infographic uh, posters and all that kind of stuff. And we got him and his team in to do the illustrations in the book. And yeah, and then you know they said you have three months, and I was like, oh crap, because the <laughs> self-published one was not all you know it was mostly just the the numbers it was not um there were no recipes right so i had developed that very quickly within yeah. a course of three months uh while working full-time and with a little kid <laughs> of course um, <laughs> well i love the structure of the book just because you've got um you have all these conversions um different things that are kind of really you know the kind of stuff that you might just hop on your smartphone and look for but it's really nice to have on a piece of paper in front yeah. of you um, I also really <laughs> like the historical conversions because I've 
uh, I have a couple of recipes where I've had to tweak it a couple of times, mm-hmm. and it would have been nice to have a little better starting place, maybe. Yeah. So. Yeah, that crazy world before common medicine. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay. And then a lot of your, like, a lot of your, I really like your cake uh, decorating advice, um, which says that there's no need for fondant is how you start off. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. I actually did my very first cake with fondant a couple weeks ago. I'd never, ever, ever wow. used it How did that before. go? It was fun. I did a panda corn cake for a dear friend's daughter uh, uh-huh. for her birthday. And um, it was fun. I mean, I'm still buttercream and things you can't eat all the way. I put like weird miniatures and stuff made of plastic on cakes and stuff. And I tend to do a lot of cutouts on paper stuck to toothpicks. But um, that Etsy coming out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fondant definitely has its place. I'm just not a fondant person. You don't have to be. Cake pie. I'm I'm team cake and I'm team not fondant. Though I will use fondant and I like pie. So no fondant pies for you. No fondant pies. pies. Is that a thing? No, I just made that up to be offensive. Well, there's cakes. There's cakes that look like pies that are mm-hmm. covered in fondant. Okay, you're there's going to be fondant yeah. pies now. You've manifested that. Yeah, that's just <laughs> not. How dare you? Can I unmanifest it somehow? Mm, be poor. Wow. <laughs> wow. <No>. Jeez. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, I'm shook. I'm proud I made it that long without saying something. <laughs> it's okay. I did. I did propose fondant in pie form, so I, I kind of deserve. That's that. true. That's true. It just brought out a demon deep inside of me. <laughs> All of the, the fondant rage. gremlin. The fondant gremlin, like the cheddar goblin. <laughs> Have you seen Mandy? Uh uh-uh. Oh, it's a it's a really weird movie that I recommend. Um, I know JT has a question for you about like shared interests. Um, are you a fan of a podcast uh, called uh, Carb Face for Radio? I have n- no, I don't. I've never uh, heard you should that. check it out. It's really good. Yeah. It's yeah. hosted by um, a guy named Chris who tweets under the handle shit food blogger. Oh, I know that. Yeah, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. And Lori Woolover, who was the late Anthony Bourdain's assistant. Yes. They're who fantastic. I saw that they were like, I think she Instagram. follows me on Instagram. Yeah, I, I know look, that weirds me out. I Instagram and I'm like, wow. Maybe you knew them. So. Yeah, I, it's really neurotic. But when I did my podcast, which is, is the sound quality is terrible, it's hard. It's really it's, hard. It's ter- and I, you know, I did it and then I won't get into the long. Well, you know, go for it. Who cares? The long, get into it. Because this is what my cake work deals with too. Is yeah. that, um, I had some mental health issues that came about, um, about a little over a year ago and, um, without getting too into it, which a lot of the cakes, the mental health cakes were born from kind of trying to understand what I was going through. Right. Um, and so I did, I did the podcast and then I sort of couldn't do anything for a while. Um, and so I've been wanting to get back into the podcast, but it's been really difficult. So because I was so nervous about how my podcast sounded, I stopped listening to any other podcasts. Oh, yeah. Which is really sounds weird. No, but it's hard because I listen to things. I listen to other podcasts extremely judgmentally now because I go, oh, I can hear that person smacking their lips or like, oh, there's too much of there's too much boom and there's too much okay. like lower right. levels. Well, in this and as a creative person, I mean, you're probably you probably have a little bit of a perfectionist streak. Like, oh, an intense. Did you like cry while things. editing your podcast? Did you like weep bitter tears? I Because I do. Well, I just, I, it was more weeping, like, what the hell am I doing, kind of, um, 
with this mm-hmm. podcast. I mean, I loved doing it. I mean, my first guest was my daughter, and that's what actually we were talking as I was coming here. And I was like, you know, B, I'm kind of nervous about this. I've never been on a podcast before. She said, I have. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> She's great. She's amazing. <laughs> She's amazing. She said that she'd been on a podcast, and, and my husband was like, well, what, would you, what advice would you give your mom? And she said, Mom, just be brave. And... You're doing a great job. You're being very brave. I just want to <laughs> offer that I'm affirmation. Sorry, Thank you. And your Thank validation. You. I'm sorry. I wish I'd like done something to make you more comfortable. No, 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 no. It's just it. It's uh, I, I'm I, I'm pretty much an open book person, and, I, and sometimes yeah. that worries me because I'll talk. I'm pretty open about my life. I'm open about mm-hmm. my mental health stuff. I overshare constantly. Uh, you know. Yeah. So uh, I love the the mental health issues that you address on in your photos and in your Thanks. art like the anxiety cake like i yeah, saw that, that and was you were amazing. like i tried to Thanks. set it on fire but then i just smashed it instead i really did like i was so mad it wouldn't light on fire and i then punched I a cake the before. crap out of that yeah. cake that was terrifying i mean you you've tried to bake gluten-free i assume i have and yeah. it doesn't work and you just you're so tired you punched you're a so cake. disappointed yeah and it gets all over the carpet and you have to clean it up so the dog doesn't eat it it's terrible I have some, maybe not the exact same story, but I get what you're saying. Uh-huh. <laughs> Making things. Making things is hard. Making it's things really hard. is hard. Whether they be podcasts, cakes, books, or I don't care. All Making of the things. above. Humans making things is Ooh. really, really hard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think my daughter is so cool because I went into labor with her two weeks early during Superstorm slash Hurricane Sandy. Oh, wow. my God. Yeah. my We were just talking because her birthday was October 30th and my parents were out here. And my mom was like, don't you remember that night? You texted me a picture and you said, Mom, I'm baking cookies. Everything's fine. And I just knew something was going to happen. Such a Scorpio move on her part. Yeah. To like no, she's like, I'm going to come. I'm going to come now. And so <laughs> we had to, you know, it was dramatic. They closed the bridges and the roads and we couldn't get to the hospital. Goodness. And we had to call an ambulance and... And there was a tree down in our yard and they kept having to move around because of downed power lines. And it was, you know, and then she just, yeah, she came into the world with a flourish. With a... Interesting shit happens to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I get in the way of interesting shit. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was a memorable birth. Um, yeah. Track there again. The things no, being born, making we, things. We're, ta- making we're talking things about making things as hard and the feelings yeah. that they evoke. And yeah. I mean, I just think it's so interesting how it's both therapy and like harm inducing at the same time. Like it helps you purge bad feelings, but it also like can possibly layer them on top of you as well. The cake, the baking, any kind of creative yeah. pursuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, baking definitely for me. The one thing that was hard is I've had a lifelong eating disorder problem. Yeah, and so. It it's super strange being someone who I remember I worked on one of um, God who was it um, oh God I can't believe I'm blanking his name um, he wrote Omnivore's Dilemma Michael Pollan I, yes I worked Pollan. on a couple of Michael Pollan books and um, Michael Pollan okay. and um, one of the food rules came out and I had to do a poster for the food rules and I remember uh. one of them was like don't don't eat. It had something to do with not eating sweets unless you bake them. And I wanted to shake Michael Pollan and be like, "What if you bake a lot of them? Does that I, mean you can I eat them?" I have run into that exact same thing because I've had some like weight issues, food, you know, disordered yeah. eating type of issues in the past as well. And I had somebody say that to me, and it's like, "Have you met me?" Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like who said do you know that to what you? comes out of my oven? 
Uh, it, it's a long okay, story. Okay, okay, anyway, sorry. <laughs> it's fine, but um, I, I also don't want to call the person out on the podcast. Um, call them in? I will just subtweet, <laughs> no, I'll just subtweet them and say thanks, and uh, I don't think they ever got any of my baking. Good. Screw them. Or don't. Uh, probably not. Okay. I'm just um, not going to give them, just, I mean, they, I hope not since you're baked. married. Yikes. But it's, wow, okay. Um, That's what I meant. Sorry, I took it step too far. Yeah, she got it. She <laughs> <laughs> you know what I was saying. <laughs> we don't cake shame and we don't kink shame. So, yeah, no, true. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, baking and eating, it, it's it's complicated relationship. Yeah. And actually that's one that I think a lot of, I know a lot of people who are food bloggers and food writers and and it's uh, it's it's like the unspoken yeah. thing in the food. I want... I, I, I wonder if that's going to be broached kind of in food media at some point. Has it been at all yet? I'm surprised um, that I haven't really, I, you know, I've, I've thought about broaching it quite yeah. a bit just because, you know, in conversations I've had, especially people that write cookbooks, um, you put on weight, like it's a, you, you have to yeah. taste what you make. And I see a lot of food bloggers and they make a point and some, some food bloggers make a point of saying or showing off how fit they are. And, um, which is great, you it's know, it's just kind of overcompensation um, a little bit maybe, or there hasn't really been a lot of true talk out there about, you know, the eating of the food you make, you know, they look at chefs and they, okay, well they taste everything they make, but if it's a baker, I don't know, it's a weird, it's a weird, uh, elephant in the room. Yeah. Yeah. yeah something does people don't talk about. And similarly that the whole mental health, um, stuff as well it became easier for me i couldn't use words really to talk about stuff for a while Mm -hmm. so i could bake it i could bake how i was feeling and there has been a rise you know there's been articles in the new york times about procrasta baking and um you know anxiety people that bake to relieve anxiety and depression and uh why is that you know becoming such a big thing and in some ways i think we're lucky that we can make it a thing because we're not living in an era where we had to bake like baking right. is a choice we're making as opposed to we are women that is what we do mm-hmm. you know yeah and also I think you have it, the resources to be creative right now yeah that's not just limited to to baking in a lot of ways i um i had a uh one of my former bosses, I was uh, speaking with his wife, and she had come over to the States before the war, in, uh, or before the Second World War. And um, we were discussing gardening and things like that. And she mentioned having this peach tree. And I'm like, oh, that must be awesome. You, you know, you'd be able to can those peaches. And she gave me this very like grave look on her face. And, and she said uh, in a very thick German accent, um, I didn't come to America to be canning all these things. And I had wow. this moment of, Shit, man! What I do for a hobby is what people have to do do to <laughs> yeah. survive. Yeah, um, and yeah. it just kind of furthers the same point, you know. <laughs> just how how context changes everything. Yeah, basically. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something you're doing for pleasure or because you are in pain, and it gives you pleasure because you're in pain is also something that was a pain point for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I think back, you know, to even my mom being the, the first generation that really could work outside yeah. of the home. Um, I mean, granted she was also lucky in that she was able to choose that, whereas she didn't have to because of, you know, yeah. economic circumstances. Right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's again, you, you know, I think the domestication question that comes into a lot of these conversations, it's, 
even though we're definitely in a place where I think, I think you got the return to domesticity, but then there's still the, the people feeling weird about it. Performative domesticity. Yeah, now, I'm yeah. going, now I'm going off on another <laughs> well, tangent. Do you, but, do you feel like the history that you use to inform the, uh, the work that you do makes it weightier on you personally, or do you feel like it's, it's something that makes you more excited? It makes me more excited. Mm-hmm. The exploration of it, I find just, it's just how I talk. It's how, I mean, obviously I use words to talk, um, and <laughs> I speak in other ways, but, you know, uh, <laughs> it, it, I never, you know, using cake as a medium is, is funny because it's, kind of a you know there are people that do cake art but it's pretty small uh group of us that use cake in an artistic sense as opposed to making artsy cakes if that makes sense oh like using it as a, a medium canvas yeah to- yeah that's what and, really and- struck me about seeing your seeing your work is that it is such an exce- i mean it's food yeah. it is everything in that, some well, ways well, the, the ultimate accessible yeah. medium yeah. Because everybody needs it. Well, and then the things that you're putting underneath the frosting also mean something. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is everything. What, yeah, the yeah. difference between. So you're what? saying there's layers to it? Oh my God. <laughs> We've made it how far in? This is the first pun I've made? I, d- I don't think it is, but it's the first one that made me angry. Okay. <laughs> then it's the first one that counts. Um, yeah, no, that is a huge difference. And I, I yeah. hadn't really thought of that, um, in that way before, but not a lot of people who do, when you think of cake art, you think of, you know, ace of cakes fondant. and fondant. Yes. Fondant. Yep. <laughs> fondant everywhere. Fondant, fondant. Or you think of, uh, my, my daughter's always like, mom, you should go on nailed it. And my husband is <laughs> like, e, I don't think you understand. Understand what nailed it is. Yeah. <laughs> That your mom would probably do okay. <laughs> like, it, you know what? I don't know. Because they give you two hours and I just, I don't know. It doesn't cool enough. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like. There's so many things that. Like, everybody likes to watch Great British Baking Show and like, I love it. But at oh, the I same time, it. it's like, this is making, like, I'm picturing myself in this role and I'm having a really hard time, mm-hmm. like, not running, screaming out of the room. Oh, yeah. Right I have now. anxiety attacks watching it. I love it. And yeah. I, I love Great British Baking Show. It's like my calm time. And we make the kid watch it with us, too. And she's like, I don't want to watch it. And then she, she loves then it. Then she loves it. Yeah. And we have a video from her when she was maybe three and she gets up on a chair and she's like, What are you watching? And we're like, Great British Baking Show. She's like, you're not watching Great British Baking Show. You're watching oh My, my Little Pony. <laughs> I have to confess that the, one of the meanest things I ever did to JT accidentally was um, he was baking something on Thanksgiving. And oh. I like took a phone video of him and I started singing one of the like stress part music. <laughs> and I like put it on the internet and he's like take that down. <laughs> and I'm like, why? It's funny. And he's like, no, 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 no. Just take it down. I don't have to explain myself to you. And I'm like, okay, I was having one of those moments where the thing isn't coming quite out yeah. right. And I'm trying to contain the rage. Well, I couldn't tell yeah. because he, you know, to me, like I am not a baker and anyone who can pull it off, which I see him do time and time again is like, that's awesome. And so I was just like, ha ha pop culture reference and he's like this is an emotional experience yeah. well and also stop trivializing it ju- just yeah. to give you context i cloned uh the seas scotch mallow oh um, yeah yeah it was a pain in the ass and they started leaking everywhere and the chocolate okay. work was not good and i'm just like they were delicious I, see that's the thing yeah. is and i totally get it though it doesn't ever look like you or when it doesn't 
But if you got to like, ship them and they're dripping yeah, the butterscotch yeah. out everywhere, it's not good. It's not a good situation. But it still did taste really good, though. Well, I it do want really to. Yeah. It was amazing. But no, that stuff happens. I mean, I remember I was baking a cake and I, I took. I just it, baking for me is like it's it's a mindfulness tool because if you're not paying attention, I mean, I have so many burns on my hands from not paying attention. Or I'm doing a cake and I I did a cake once friends and if you're listening to this friends in new york but um you have to send it to for them like now. their engagement well they're divorced now but for their oh. like little work engagement party and i dropped it down the stairs. it was in a cake carrier <laughs> no. but i dropped the cake down the stairs and um it was a chocolate cake and it was covered in these sugar pearls and so oh. i was like what the hell am i gonna do so so I, I, I squished all the sugar pearls into the frosting, and then I made up a story at their engagement thing. I was like, <laughs> like an old tradition used to be hiding gems under the the frosting of a cake oh to to signify yeah. you know deep love. Or I made this whole thing you up. If you lied. can't fix it, feature it. It's that's a classic. It's a classic move. I love it. When's your birthday? February into February, Pisces. And uh, Pi- oh, okay. Yeah. No, so I totally made up the story to save the cake because it was so awful looking. And I was like, well, I have to come up with a reason it looks like shit. <laughs> That's so good. So, I, so good. I came up with that story. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah. I probably not going to. And you did it with a straight face. Yeah. Wow. Somehow. I was We're all liars. Right, but... Everyone likes to think that they're not a liar, but every single person is a liar. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. I think it's fine. No, I'm not. <laughs> okay. Pretty sure that was a lie. I know it's a lie. It's definitely a lie. <laughs> it's absolutely a lie. <laughs> but we don't need to go into that. True. True. Um, I had a question just kind of in general. Um, in terms of food media nowadays, what uh, what kind of things do you read? What are you uh, excited about cookbook-wise? Is there anything mm. that's kind of on your radar right now that you're hyped or excited about? Yeah. Or- authors you like um, bloggers whatever i don't read as many blogs as i i would like to read um i and there's one big reason behind that is i get really irritated when the recipe's at the bottom of the essay yes oh which God. is why oh, i have yeah, a page yeah, yeah. on my website called just the damn recipe thank you for that by the way I because saw that. i hate it's not that i don't want to hear your story it's but all the for reason SEO. I click on it is for the recipe. So if I'll read the recipe and then go back and read the story and it drives me crazy. So I don't read a lot of blogs because I, that drives me crazy. Um, now they've been putting a button where you can jump to recipe. So it makes Good. me go there more. The worst is um, when you're trying to find a recipe and there's and, a bunch of different options and you have to scroll through eight yes. different blog posts about your... Yeah. Oh, because it's the pop-up Pop-up, pop-up, pop-up. Yeah, drives me crazy. So I, um, I feel you there. Absolutely. But I still read the old, you know, Smitten Kitchen. I, she, she's a forever, just a great one. Um, uh, my friend Michelle, who is Hummingbird High, she just put out a book, Weeknight Baking Book. And um, she's Portland located, awesome. actually. And, um, but we actually met because she lived in Bed-Stuy. Um, where we were in Brooklyn. Um, there's a, a baker named Amanda Faber. She won the great American bake off and just self published a book called cake portfolio, which is wonderful. And I had a long talk with, with a friend of mine recently who just published a cookbook about how much of a proponent I am of self publishing. Yeah. Um, 
and how this woman who's pr- pretty, you know, reasonably big name, reasonably okay, you know, good Instagram size, um, but because of the way traditional publishing works and because, you know, how hard it is to get them to look at you and because of how many resources there are for self-publishing now, I I wouldn't hesitate to suggest to people to self-publish. And Do people buy a lot of cookbooks that are self-published, you would you say? You don't see as many self-published cookbooks. I mean, I'll be... I have not worked on any self No, I've worked on... Well, it wasn't really a self-published cookbook. It was a... Uh, like a like a self a magazine like a, a recipe magazine okay. a Thanksgiving recipe magazine um that I designed for a friend um this was the first one I'd really bought and it's great I love it I I think you know it's a very very it's called Cake Portfolio I think it's a wonderful book um we'll link it it's a great one mm-hmm. um and. Yeah, I've, I've got to think. There's a. I mean, I would lot. think I would think that it's hard to get like get a cookbook if you're not a celebrity or like not on television in some way. Or you way. don't have an Instagram following in triple of digit. like the like, yeah, yeah. yeah hundreds of thousands. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I have a good friend who published a cookbook recently, and um, I was talking or I, I was following her on Instagram, and she was doing this tag that was popping up a lot. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if she's doing a new book. So I texted her and I was like, oh, are you doing a new book? And she said, you know what? It's, I can't get them, you know, she was struggling to um, get the publishers excited about her new idea. And I was like, well, you know, you have like 20 something thousand Instagram followers. And she said, oh, no, no. Now it's 80 to 100,000 and they won't pay attention to you. It's true. And I was just like, well, I have like 3,000, (laughs) you know. And I know that, you know, my publishers have said, unless you sell 20,000 copies, it's not like yeah. they won't look at me, but you have to have a really strong proposal to get. Um, and that's with an agent. You know, I have an agent. And it's especially if mm-hmm. you want to do something that's like full color glossy. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, it's 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 hard. Yeah. It's really, really, really hard. And so I would totally tell anybody listening out here, find a good designer. Mm-hmm. Find a good designer and do it yourself. If you can initially do the output, you're going to get a lot much because I, you know, I'm not going to see any money from my book for years, years, because that's how traditional publishing works. You, you get an advance. People understand you get an advance. What they don't think, I don't think they know is you actually have to pay that back to the publisher before you get any, before you get any more money. So Mm -hmm. until your book sells enough to cover your advance, you're not getting any royalties. Mm -hmm. So, um, Whereas if you're self-publishing, if you put that initial money into it, you can charge. Yeah, you get the money. You get all the mo- almost all the money, you depending spend on all how the money you set too. it up and who you. <laughs> yeah, but man, the, you also own it. Yeah, there's you, of course there's pluses and minuses to mm-hmm. everything, but um, I yeah I. Would you do a cake historian self-published book? Um. I think a lot about what my next book would be. I would love, I, I don't even bake and I would love that. Like frankly, but <laughs> well, I'm a book person, so I don't know <laughs> where in the cake historian world I fit right now. Um, I am talking about working on a project with a photographer on the East coast who, um, we want to do a stories as cake series, a uh, women in peril stories as cakes. So we're going to take five or six short stories, um, featuring women in peril and I'm going to 
conceptualize these cakes and she's going to photograph them. And, um, we've talked about like that, you know, she's got some really great contacts out East. Um, and I, you know, because the work I do is a little more esoteric, it doesn't necessarily lend itself to a straight up cake book. It's harder for me to sell the concept. Um, True. But so I do have a, like a nonfiction food related book idea in mind. Um, you don't have to tell everyone yeah, on the I'm internet that Yeah, I'm not going to talk that, too though. much about it, yeah. but it's something <laughs> I'm pretty excited about. It's related to sweets and it's related to stuff that's creepy and dark and kind of morbid. And so Yay! it's sort of a nice... A crossover con- hit. Yeah, it's like my two worlds colliding. Um, I feel like there are a lot of like spooky chicks who love to bake. So I, I think there'd be a... <laughs> I like that. That's, there's some new uh, spooky chicks who love to bake. That's yeah. A, that's yeah. a meetup group I, that there, needs to happen. Get there it started. <laughs> one of the contestants on the re- most recent season of uh, oh. Great British Bake Off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, oh, yeah, the yeah, Spanish the, goth. Yeah, yeah she I was can't great. remember her name, but man, yeah. she was how the, great was she? She was, she was the, great. She was the character. I don't yep. know. I don't feel like there were a lot of characters on the last season. <laughs> yeah. I had a crush on Henry. Oh, Henry. Mm. Bless his we heart. We still actually haven't watched the... Fl- the last episode to see who I don't won. even remember what happened. I won't say a word. Okay, don't. Because we still haven't watched it yet. I don't even remember who won. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, Actually, a former Great British Baking Show contestant, and I can't remember her name, but I believe the book is called A New Way to Cake, and it's very new. It just came out, and it's beautiful, and I love that book. Uh, Benjamina Abuli. Oh, awesome. Benjamina! I loved her. Yeah, yeah she was yeah. Um, fantastic. So she just put out a really great cake book, which has some really cool recipes. There's a cardamom cake with a mulled wine jam that sounds lovely. Mm. Um, there's a sweet potato cake that she adds um, caraway seed to, which is fascinating. Ooh, I'm yeah. into that. Just a pinch of caraway seed. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend that book. That's been really exciting to me. Okay. Um, and um, Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll link that as well. But I am such a book, book person that, um, cookbooks all the way. Yeah. It's hard for me not to, I haven't, you know, to spend a fortune. I could. They're expensive. Let people spend money on cocaine. I spend it on books. <laughs> you know, it is my, it is my dirty habit that, you know, I mean. Well, I mean, the books at least stay around. They do. You know. They do. But sometimes they it, show my short-lived fascinations like, oh, for a little while, I just thought she was going to be a woodworker or something, you know, because <laughs> there'll be like 16 books on woodworking and yeah. 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 We're not going to talk about our bookshelves right now. I mean. Here in this house. Why? Why not? <laughs> well, we're yeah, not. We're not because I could just talk too long about it. Do you have anything else you would like to talk about or? I don't know. Just, um, I just that big publishing isn't everything that, you know, we still aspire to be picked up by the big guys and be published by them. And it's still great to have these starry eyed dreams, but we live in, in a way in a world right now, that's much more democratic when it comes to publishing. And Mm -hmm. if you want to write a book, write a book, publish, you know, I mean, if you don't have the money to self publish it, there are avenues, there are ways to make it happen. Um, I think don't let the fear of what big publishing is or c- could mean to you keep you from going after it because there's nobody telling you you can't write your book but you. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone else is imaginary. 
Yeah. Like, they don't have a dog in the fight. And there's no one else saying you can't publish your book. Like, no. that is an option for everybody now. And, and, even if they, and even if they do say don't publish your book, they can't control you. You still can publish yeah, it. Yeah, like, screw them. Even if, it, if, you know, <laughs> you can, I mean, to say you wrote a book, just because, you know, one of the big guys didn't pick it up doesn't mean you didn't write it. Yeah, even just write it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And you know Worry what? about publishing it later. If Amen. there's anything you can see by looking at, at what gets picked up, so much of what gets picked up now by the big publishers started off as self-published. Yeah. And the numbers on Amazon, a lot of the high numbers are self-published books. Yep. Um, I just, I mean, I guess if I was to say anything, I would just say, go for it. It's, there's never been a better time. Could you tell people where to find you one more time? Sure. Um, if you're looking for the cover design work I do, it's readsy.com slash forward slash Jessica hyphen read, R-E-E-D. Um, and then I'm at thecakehistorian.com and on Instagram at cake underscore historian. Great Instagram account. Thank you. Do Gorgeous. it. Gorgeous. I love it. Thanks. Yeah. Um, you can find us at Hybrid Pub Scout on Twitter, at Hybrid Pub Scout on Facebook, at Hybrid Pub Scout Pod on Instagram. Um, please go to hybridpubscout.com to uh, get on our mailing list for all the fun things. If you are a person in uh, self-publishing, if you have a book coming out, if you are an editor who has a book coming out that they liked particularly, um, email us. We want to share your successes um, in our newsletter. Um, Emily at hybridpubscout.com or Corinne at hybridpubscout.com. And um, thank you, Jessica. Thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. It was great. And JT, thank you for uh, being guest host today. Always a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for giving a rip about books.